Well, we have wrapped up uh, uh, several sections of Scripture so far in 2012, and we're going to continue until we uh, go through all nine major sections uh, of Scripture as we've divided them up uh, to look at this year. And uh, many of you continue to read uh, more and more daily in the Word. Many of you are reading through the Bible in 2012, and I commend you. Um, Numerous times uh, I've seen uh, updates on Facebook. Uh, James Hayes, it seems like uh, if, if you're out there, James, you've been reading a, a book a day almost, it seems like. Moving along, it's uh, fantastic, and uh, we applaud that. God's Word, when we take it into our minds and our hearts, does not, um, does not disappoint us. And if we open our hearts and our minds to it, uh, it feeds our life and changes us. So we finished up the wisdom section uh, last week. And I told you a couple of things in wrapping that section up. I told you a couple of things that are going to happen. Unless, unless the Lord returns, um, you are going to get old and you're going to die. And I know that I spoke the truth because as I look out today, some of you have definitely gotten older since I saw you last week. So hopefully you'll find something that encourages you today um, as you age gracefully. We're going to turn uh, now to begin to look at some of Paul's writings. It's going to take a couple of different times in the remainder of the year to do that, but for the next three or four weeks, we're going to look at some of uh, Paul's writings and his letters that, that he wrote to, uh, to early Christians and to early churches. And uh, the first place we're going to start is in the book of Romans. And uh, you saw some highlights of uh, what's in the book of Romans. I uh, just want to remind you who Paul was. Paul uh, was a very uh, well-educated Jewish man, and he was trained as a young man to be what was known as a Pharisee, an expert in the religious law. Yeah, it's that group that Jesus was always uh, in confrontation with. And Paul was trained as a young man and educated to be a Pharisee, to be very wise in all the Jewish laws and customs. And he became so zealous in that at a young age that that he was one of those that when Jesus' ministry began to spread around the countryside and he began to develop disciples, and even after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Paul was one of those that was going out and persecuting Christians. He was trying to find them wherever they were and to keep them from preaching in Jesus' name. And by the laws of the land of that day, the religious laws, he could throw people into jail. He was doing that. He was actually present when the disciple Stephen was martyred. Paul was right there giving his consent, it says in the, in the book of Acts. He was right there, so that's who he was until one day on his way to, to Damascus in what's now Syria. Uh, Damascus is still the capital of Syria. Paul was on his way there to find Christians and, and persecute them when he was confronted by the living Christ and uh, with that bright light and the voice that came from heaven. And after that, his life was radically transformed. And he went from being a a person who was trying to kill Christians and throw them in jail to becoming a leader of the followers of Christ, an apostle, a missionary, a church planner, somebody who was defending the faith. And eventually he gave his own life as a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the man that wrote this letter to early Christians uh, in the city of Rome. And it's quite a book, the book of Romans is. Uh, when, you read, when you read the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, it's really some of Scripture that really takes reading it several times to begin to digest it. It's powerful exposition and explanation about the gospel of grace, about who God is, about 
what the difference between following the law and following the grace of God is. And all of that is something that Paul takes on and explains in such a powerful way. And the first 11 chapters are really kind of theological, to use that big word for you, which we are all theological. We all have thoughts about God. But Paul explains his, his understanding of the gospel in such a powerful way in those first 11 chapters. But then in chapter 12 of Romans, he makes a shift, and he begins to talk about practical things. You see, we don't just need to understand concepts about God. It needs to make a difference in our life for it to be relevant at all, for it to matter. It needs to make a difference not just in the songs you sing and the, the words you read in Scripture, but it needs to make a difference in the way you live when you walk away from this place today. And so in Romans chapter 12, Paul begins to really address those practical practical matters. And uh, when he does that, he begins to talk about a change that takes place in us. It's what the very first few verses of Romans chapter 12 are about. He talks about transformation. And I just want to remind you what the definition of what it means to be transformed is today. If you look in a dictionary, most of them would say something like this. The word transform means to change the nature or function of something or change the condition to convert, to, to have been something and now be something new. It's a fundamental change that takes place. Like when the caterpillar that's crawling along the branch of that tree, when that caterpillar sheds its outer, outer shell and becomes this beautiful butterfly that flies out into the air. A fundamental change, transformation that takes place. That's what Paul's talking about in the beginning of Romans chapter 12, where he says this, and he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. And let them, let your lives, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. And this is truly the way to worship him. And really what that means, this is really the way you should respond to him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul tells those folks, as he says to us today as well, offer yourself to God and let him change and transform you. I don't know what it is that you think about when you think about transformation. Um, to, have, to have something radically change, there's a couple of different ways that that, that can happen. Uh, there are some things where it can just simply, you know, in, in one brief moment in time, something can radically change. Let's say if you have a surgery done and they remove something in your body that's not supposed to be there, the, the surgeon goes in and removes it and then sews you back up and you heal and that is gone. It's never going to come back again. And that was a transformation that happened really in a few moments of time. There are other transformations that take place that you change over time and what you did to transform yourself, you must keep doing to stay transformed. Um, a friend of mine uh, recently showed me a picture of himself a few years ago. And he looks a little different in that picture than he looks right now. I don't know if he'll post it on Facebook or not. Um, it, it, it'd be interesting if... It, I, I, he already looks embarrassed, and, and you already know who I'm talking about, but Johnny Wagner showed me this picture of himself 
when he was a young man. And I'm not going to take my shirt off and roll my T-shirt sleeves up, but he's in a sleeveless shirt, and he's doing this. And I just want to tell you something. I was impressed. I was impressed. Looked almost like a couple of those pro wrestlers that I was talking about a couple weeks ago. I mean, he had some serious, some serious guns. I don't know if he was taking any substances or not, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, it was impressive. Man, if you look at Johnny, he's still a, a handsome man today, but I don't know, the definition's not quite the same, is it, buddy? <laughs> because, because what he did to look like that, in order to continue to look like that, you've got to keep doing that. Now, let me explain to you what, what we're talking about here. In being transformed, we are instantaneously transformed in, in our hearts and in our eternal destiny when we cry out to God and receive His mercy and His free gift of forgiveness through His death on the cross. And that's an instant transformation that takes place. But in order to continue to grow as a disciple in the Lord, We've got to continue to do some things. Here's, a, here's an illustration of how it might, might work for you. You might think of it uh, like this. If you want to go across the uh, Atlantic Ocean, if you want to go across the Atlantic Ocean, I, it's theoretically possible, and, and there's probably somebody that's done this, if, if we look up the Guinness Book of World Records site, you could go across the ocean in a rowboat. But it would really be exhausting and most of the time, I would just go on a limb and say, you would fail. I mean, there might be one or two people here that could maybe make that trek in a rowboat. I kind of doubt it. Exhausting, trying that hard to get there. And, th and sometimes that's what we, we think the, the Christian life is. I just got to try harder. I got to try harder. I got to be a better person. I got to follow the rules harder and harder and harder. And that's like trying to row a rowboat across the Atlantic Ocean. Not very successful. Others embark on the Christian life and just say, you know what, this is just too hard. And anyway, I believe in the grace of God, so I'm just going to, you know, whatever happens, happens. Maybe, maybe I'll get there, maybe I won't. And instead of being a rowboat, you just kind of throw yourself on a raft and drift. And when you're drifting, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You can get blown way off course. And you can maybe end up in a place that you never, ever wanted to be when you're just trying to hang on and hope you get there. The better thing to think about is this. Think of it as a sailboat. You have the boat, and you hoist the sails. You give yourself to God and then wait on the wind of His grace and the power of His Holy Spirit to fill those sails and take you where you need to go. But you need to lift those sails. And today, that's what I want us to think about, is lifting our sails and doing the things that will allow the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to power, empower our lives so we can be living a transformed life. And that's what Paul does for us in, in the next several verses of the book of Romans. This is like setting ourselves. And the first thing he tells us to do, he says, link yourself to the body of Christ. Link yourself. Let me ask you this question. Who are you linked with? Who are you linked with? Who are you hooked up with? Who has the most influence on how you live your daily life? 
the decisions you make, the choices you're making day after day, who are the people that influence that the most? Who are you linked up with in that way? And, and what, are you seeking, what are you seeking to accomplish with them? What do you want to see happen in a big picture kind of way with those people you're linked up with? Paul says, connect yourself to the body of Christ. In Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, he says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Connect. Are you connected strongly to the body of Christ? I'm not saying you can't have any other friends than the ones that are sitting around you here today. But what I'm saying is, when you think about who has the most influence on your daily decisions and choices, who do you talk to when you need wisdom? Who do you talk to when you need encouragement, when you need direction? Is it somebody that shares the link to Christ that you have? We need to have that kind of connection. And we also need to recognize, as he says, that within the body of Christ, it's not just about what I can receive from somebody else. It's about what I can give to them. And you have your part to play. You have your role on the team that you're supposed to carry out. And if you don't do it, it's not happening. It's not accomplished. And you need to know and understand that. I'm still attempting at uh, 48 and two-thirds years of age, I'm still attempting to play softball. And, and on, on the softball team that, that I play on, I am, uh, I am really very, uh, I think I'm just very Christian because I am the least of these, if that, if that makes sense to you. I, I am the least of these on the team. And, and I clearly understand that when it comes to, to batting, my role is to just try and get on base. Just try and get on base. Just if, if it means taking a walk, which most people think is boring in softball, you take a walk. But the last time I hit a home run over the fence was 1997. Okay? 1997. You can do the math. It's been a while. And you know, you know, you know what number home run that was for me in my career over the fence? Two. I hit another one in like 1993. So, so there you go. I mean, that, that's, I need to roll. It's not my job to get up there and swing out of my shoes. You need to know your part. And, and when it comes to the church, it's not everybody's role to be up, up here. But there's no less importance in being down the hall or being with kids next week at camp or vacation Bible school, or whatever it might be, to know your role and do your part. And all of us play a role in each other's lives in terms of encouragement and support and strength and pointing each other to God's Word and to His presence. Second thing Paul talks about here is to love without hypocrisy. Another way of setting your sails to catch the wind of the Spirit is to love without hypocrisy. He says this, don't just pretend to love others. Don't let it just be words. Be genuine and authentic. Verse 9, it says that don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight, not because you have to, take delight in honoring each other. You catch that? 
Did you also catch that statement in there, that, that other word that worked its way into what Paul was saying? Right here, the, 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 the context is about love, but there's another word that works its way in there, and we usually think of it as the opposite. In connection to love others, he says we need to hate what is wrong. Hate. You say, Pastor, you want me to be a hater. Yes. Yes, I do. It's not too strong a word. Not if you love people enough. If you love people the way Jesus loves people, and if you love people with the love of Christ when it's placed in you, if that's your desire, then you should and will hate anything that would destroy those people. Are you getting the drift now? We're not talking about hating people, but we're talking about hating what is wrong. Because what is wrong, what is sinful, as Paul's already established earlier in Romans, it destroys. It brings death. It won't just kill your body. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your family. It'll kill your relationships. It might kill your job, kill your peace of mind. Hate what is wrong. Anything that would destroy. You can see Paul's passion in writing here. Don't just pretend to love each other. Don't just say words. Really, really love each other with all the genuine, authentic love of Christ and hate the things that are wrong that would destroy each other. And he goes on to talk about working hard and serving the Lord enthusiastically and rejoicing and be patient in trouble and keep praying and always be eager, not forced, always be eager to practice hospitality to share what you have with others. To have passionate love that has the passion enough to hate what would destroy people you love and love them with the love of Christ. And then he talks about another way to set your sail. He says, live in strong humility. Often we think of humility as a weakness. We think of being humble and meek as being some sort of weakness. It means you're not a, a strong person, not a real man or whatever. But that's completely contrary to the Scripture. God tells us over and over and over again in His Word that the proud are going to fall. And God is going to raise up the humble. Over and over, over, and over again. You, almost any book of the Bible, you can find some kind of reference that will say something along these lines. The proud are going to go down, they're going to fall. And God's going to lift up those who humble themselves before Him. Verse 16, right here, Romans chapter 12, Paul describes it this way. He says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't be too proud to hang out with people like me. Don't be too proud to hang out with the people who can't do anything for you. Don't be too proud to the people that, don't, that aren't going to get you somewhere where you're trying. Paul's talking about the, the Christian life is treating everyone with grace and respect. It's not about climbing over other people to reach and grab for something. Instead, young and old, male and female, no matter what race, no matter what language, whether they can do anything for you or not, short-term or long-term, be humble and gracious and lift people up. 
And then I like the line. Did you catch what he said there in verse 16? You wonder if he, he, he must have had somebody's face in front of him when he wrote, and don't think you know it all. It's almost like you read between the lines there, he's saying, for heaven's sake, for the love of heaven, please, don't act like you know it all. I just thought I'd check and see how much you know this morning. I want to see if there is somebody here who knows it all. I found this this week, and it's, it's described as the world's easiest trivia test. The world's easiest trivia test. I know some of you did so well with the math problem we presented a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm sure you're going to excel here. And uh, let's see how we do. The world's easiest trivia, okay? Here's the first question. How long did the 100 years war in Europe, how long did that last? Uh, 116 years. You're, you're incorrect. I, I'm disappointed. Uh, you, you didn't get it. How could you not get that question? Next, next question. Which country makes Panama hats? Ecuador. There you go. This is intuitive, folks. Pick, pick up, pick up. From which animal do we get cat gut? Had any cat gut recently? Sheep and horses. That's where we get cat gut. Okay. I, I'm just, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to, we're going to have to start having classes here. In which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? November. <laughs> November. Their calendar was a, was a little bit off when all that happened, and, and uh, so they, they celebrate that in November. What is a camel's hair brush made of? Now this, you really, you, squirrels. Squirrels <laughs> is, where, is where we get that, get that from. Okay, now this is right in the name here. The Canary Islands in the Pacific are named after what animal? Actually, the Latin name is Insularia Canarial Island of the dogs. Of the dogs, okay? All right, now somebody ought to get this. What was King George VI's first name? Good. I like that. That's just as close as George is. Did anybody see the, anybody see the King's Speech movie? That's a good movie, by the way. Albert is his first name. Bertie. But when he came to the throne in 1936, he respected the, the wish of Queen Victoria from his ancestor that no future king should ever be called Albert. She just didn't like Albert, so... All right, just, just two or three more here. What color is a purple finch? It's distinctively crimson. Distinctively crimson, which is the color of a great football team. Number nine, <laughs> not in Alabama, just to the north of us here. Number nine, where are Chinese gooseberries from? A lot of, lot of answers on the front row now. They're getting cocky. <laughs> New Zealand. New Zealand. Last question. How long did the 30 years war last? I told you this was in 30 years. <laughs> I said 30 years. Man. 
Mm. Keep studying, folks. Keep trying. Don't, don't think you know it all. Don't ever get to the place where in, in any way, especially when it comes to living for Christ, think that you have it all figured out and it's everybody else that needs to help. Remember, God does not lift up the proud. Instead, he raises up those who humble themselves before him. Here's one more thing. Um, another thing that Paul talks about in setting ourselves to take in the wind and the grace of God. He says, leave the payback to God. Leave the payback to God. Romans 12, verse 17 says this, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Now this is something that runs counter to human nature. It's something that runs counter to the instincts that creep up within us. We are creatures who want revenge. We want payback. Some of my favorite movies, that's just a huge major theme in those movies. In Gladiator, man, I so, so want Maximus to get his revenge. You know, I'm just drawn into it. You know, and when he says, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next, I mean, I just, yes! You know, and then the Holy Spirit's like, really? Is that? The Count of Monte Cristo. Before Jim Caviezel played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, he was the Count of Monte Cristo. That's, oh, it's such a good movie. Such a good movie. He, 12 years unjustly thrown in a dungeon. And when he comes out and finds that treasure, you know, it's just all about getting his revenge. Unforgiven. Clint Eastwood and taking care of those guys that abused those went oh man just you know just swells up say get them get them get them the old movie witness where Harrison Ford is is a a cop who takes to hiding out in an Amish community and uh, you know they go to town and they're riding in the cart and these these uh, rednecks start making fun of them and the guy comes up with the ice cream cone and puts the ice cream on the young Amish guy's face and, and they just sit there and Harrison Ford just can't take it anymore. You know, remember he's got the high water pants on and he, that straw hat and he, he gets out and the old Amish man says, it's not our way and he goes, but it's my way. And he, get, <laughs> and he, and he gets up out of that cart and just boom, you know, just nails the guy and you're like, yes. Our lives are usually not that dramatic. I, I recognize that. But there's something about human nature where we still want people to get what's coming to them. And we're just okay enough, and some of us just think we are God's agents to pay them back, to make sure you get what's coming to you. Paul says when we're transformed by the grace of God, we leave the payback to him. In fact, Paul says in verse 18, catch this, look at this. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace 
with everyone. Now, now take that whole sentence in. Some translations um, lose a little bit there. They, they, they just say, you know, try to, try to live at peace. But look at what it says. As far as it depends on you. Some people are not going to receive the grace that you offer them. Some people are not going to receive forgiveness. Some people are not going to give peace back to you when you try to share it with them. But Paul says what we do by the grace of God, as far as it depends on us, we do everything we can to live at peace with everyone. You can't control what others are going to do. But as far as what we do by the grace of God, now that doesn't mean simply avoiding them. The biblical word for peace is a little stronger than just laying in a hammock. It doesn't mean just avoiding them. It means seeking their best and their well-being. As far as it depends on you, you're going to seek the well-being of even those people that in your mind deserve payback. Leave it to God, he says. And he ends up quoting the scriptures from the Old Testament when he says this, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. He's telling us there, if you really, if you really want to give somebody something that would be unexpected and much more powerful than any revenge you could take on them. Do good to them. And in this way, he says, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And hopefully they will receive that. And they too would turn and say, where do you get that kind of ability to seek the best for me? Leave it to God who deserves, who knows what everyone deserves. You don't want everything you have coming to you, do you? Remember that when we're, tr when we're dealing with others. And then the final thing that, that Paul says to do when you want the, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit to sail your boat is to let the good win. Let the good win out. He says, don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. If you want to conquer evil, then make your life about practicing forgiveness, kindness. Paul was chained to, to Roman soldiers when he wrote many of the letters that we find in the New Testament. And somehow, even in the midst of that, he was able to write these words of grace and share it with even those soldiers that guarded him. There's a story that, that I know I, I've shared a, a once, at least once before in the, in the years that I've been here. It's a story that reminds me about the power of God to, to transform a heart and mind when we ask Him to do so and to do something that humanly just doesn't seem possible. Corey Ten Boom was a young lady who uh, was from a, 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 fam a Dutch family. They were not a Jewish family, but during World War II when the Nazis were coming in to Holland and, and finding Jews and throwing them in the concentration camps and doing all the horrible things that, that were done. Corrie Ten Boom and her father and sister and family were 
developed a secret hiding place within their home to hide Jews from the Nazis. And they, this went on for quite some time, and they saved the lives of, of a number of people. But eventually they were, they were ratted out and, and found, and, uh, and they were taken, and they themselves were thrown in to a concentration camp. Their father died early on at, at a different camp, but Corey and her sister were taken to uh, Ravensbrück in Germany, and, and there in that concentration camp, uh, they dealt with all the torture and pain and struggle and all of the things that went on there. Corey was completely impacted uh, by her sister, who was such a strong believer in Christ, and in spite of all the horrific conditions and all the things that went on, her, her sister was just shining the light of Christ into Corey's life and in the life of people around him. Eventually, her sister became sick and eventually died there in that camp. And a few months later, just before she would have been in line to be executed, Corey was released on, a, on some kind of technicality, some kind of clerical error that happened. And she was released. And then for many years, well into her, her 80s, she traveled around the world talking about her experience and the grace of God that, that brought her through all of that. About 10 years after her release from, from Ravensbrück, she was uh, actually speaking in a church back in Germany, in Munich, Germany. And there in that, uh, in that church, she was uh, standing up in front of the people, telling them about how the grace of God can bring you through anything and how God can take something terrible and make good out of it. And she finished her talk that night, and people were coming uh, up and shaking her hand and talking to her. And, and as she was uh, talking to, to a lady in front of her, she saw a man in a in a gray coat with a, with a hat pulled down kind of over his face walking towards her and he lifted her, his head slightly and when she saw his face she said she immediately just felt sick to her stomach. It's ten years later but she recognized his face. He was one of the guards. One of the guards who beat her and her sister and did so many terrible things in that concentration camp ten years before. And she said all this wave of emotion just seized over her and she'd been saying all these things and reading scriptures and talking to people about Jesus and she saw that man and all she could feel inside of her was just swelling up the anger the resentment the hurt the bitterness and this man walked all the way up to her and removed his hat and and looked at her and said I am so and so and she says I, I know who you are and he said I, I heard what you said tonight and I just wanted to tell you that when the war was over, I found the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and he's changed my life. And I've come here tonight to ask you to forgive me. And she said she stood there, and she just didn't feel it. She'd said all this stuff, and she meant it, but she's looking at this man and thinking of who he was and what he had done. And she said it seemed just the, the seconds just kind of kind of grew until it was just kind of hanging there. And she looked at this man, and then in her mind she just said, God, I, I cannot do this. There's just no way. All the memories, all that stuff just flooded back on her. And he was looking at her. It had only been a few seconds, but it seemed like an eternity. He said, ma'am, I'm asking for your forgiveness. 
And she said somehow, she said, Lord, I can't do this on my own, but if you'll help me. She said she extended her hand, and he took it. And she said in that moment, the grace of God just flooded through her heart and life until she could actually look at that man and truly say to him, I forgive you. The grace of God can transform us in such a way that it can help us to do the impossible. Help us to do the things that we just can't do on our own. And my prayer and my hope for all of us is that we'll live transformed lives that, that will be transforming to the people around us. Where we love with that kind of love. Where we leave the things to God that we need to leave to Him. Where we've got a passion to see people have life, eternal life, and joy. We hate what is wrong, hate what destroys us and what destroys each other. Embracing Him completely. Listen, I don't know if maybe some names and faces came to you and I told that story. I don't know all the difficult things that you're going on. It may be very, just seem almost impossible for you to feel like you're a sailboat with the wind of, wind of God at your back. Right now, it feels more like you're in that rowboat I talked about, trying to cross the ocean. Why don't we stand together? And I'm just going to have a time here to reflect in a moment and pray. If you've got anything you need to pray about today, any struggle you're facing, any battle, and you just need the strength of the Lord. Our altars are open if you want to come. If you want to write it out on that prayer card that's in your worship folder, place it here in faith that, that the Lord can accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Let's, uh, let's just seek the Lord for a few minutes here. Take a position of prayer. Stand, sit, kneel. Pastor Chad, lead us. Let's seek the Lord right now. Talk to him about what's on your heart. Father God, we come before you today. God, recognize that uh, this part of life that is on our mind right now is not, not easy. It's not easy to forgive when we've been done wrong. But in order to be like Christ, we have to. God, very aware to the reality that this morning there are likely those in this room, some of us here, Father, who completely cut off from your spirit empowering us to live and very possibly it's because we fail at the ability on our own to forgive something or someone a memory in life something that happened that we had no control over maybe a decision that that we made on our own or maybe something that we became trapped in that we couldn't find a way out and, and so we we meddle in it and we live in fear of it and God we need you to move and, and empower us 
to forgive that one that hurt habit to find freedom from it the hang up father that that addiction or that that thing in life that just tends to come back to us father you grab hold of us and suck us in like sinking sand God it's those things that keep us from being completely authentic and transparent with you and with others that hold us back in our ability to grow to become the people that you created us to be before the fall and so we live in the state of the fall rather than being restoring people in our world, in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our third places, our communities, in our nation. God, we, we are here this morning and maybe we're angry about things that have taken place just this past week. God, I pray that we would not sin in our anger. God, that we would find freedom. God, that we would be able to bring peace, shalom. God, for these that have, have come forward this morning, God, we pray for them. God, as they're not only bowing their hearts and their minds, but their bodies before you. God, as they leave the altar, would would uh, they leave whatever it is there? May they have found forgiveness and peace. God, for those that maybe are wrestling in a chair, God, we would be able to confess our sins one to another in ways that would, would bring about freedom and forgiveness. And then, God, even for those that aren't here this morning, we may know somebody who's not here. Maybe they're not here because of decisions that have led them to be hard and cold against us, against you. God, may you use us extending the hand of forgiveness before it's even requested to free them. That they might be the one that you called them to be. Lord, we love you. We thank you that, that you went to the cross